Shalom. This is Yehudi Feldman. Today we're going to do Mishlei chapter 30, but we're dividing chapter 30 into two parts. 30a is going to be an introduction to the last two chapters of Mishlei, which are like an appendix to the whole Sefer. And also we'll do the first nine psukim of Perak 30. And 30b, which we'll do tomorrow, We'll pick up from verse 10 and finish the parak. Um, Mishlei Shlomo actually refers to the first 29 chapters. It starts with that title, Mishlei Shlomo Ben David Melech Israel, And then in chapter 10, it's reinforced with Mishlei Shlomo. And then in chapter 25, you have Gam Ela Mishlei Shlomo Asher Ha'atiku and say Chizkiyo Melech Yehuda. But the last two chapters do not even claim to be the works of Shlomo. They are the works of Chachmei B'nai Kenem. The two authors listed are someone by the name of Agur B'nai Yakeh. And then we have Lemuel Melech Masa, or Hamasa, Lemuel Melech. But either way, the point is they don't claim to be Shmuel, uh, Shlomo. And the Medrash tries to make them into Shlomo, but it's clear that these are Chachmei B'nai Kedem, and Chachmei B'nai Kedem are referred to in Sefer Malachim when it says, Vaterev Chachmat Shlomo, Viko Chachmei B'nai Kedem, Viko Chachmat Mitzrayim, and they even list some of these Chachmei B'nai Kedem, Eman, Zardar, and Chakol, and uh, all types of individuals, and for that matter, you could consider people like Elifaz HaTaymani and Sofar HaNamati, Bildad HaShuchi and Elihu Ben Barachil HaBuzi as, and for that matter, Eop too as B'nai Kedem. Look at the places they're coming from. Tayman, Utz, you know, Buz. These are all people listed on Sefer Breshit as part of that whole subgroup of B'nai Kedem. Kedma El Bnei Kedem, and uh, they represent the wisdom, collective wisdom of the East, or or either Mesopotamia or South Arabia. A third source of wisdom was Egypt. Uh, but the tone of these two chapters is quite different than the tone of the rest of Sefer Mishlei. For example, the tone of chapter 30 is more like the tone of chapter of Sefer Eov. And uh, the, the chapter thirty-one has an entire, entirely different, uh, you know, set of ideas, and the point being that you know, in general, in Tanakh, things that are thought of as being, you know, extra added are put at the end of the sefer. So, for example, in Sefer Shoftim, we have stories about Shoftim Moshiim, the ones who saved Israel starting out with, let's say, Atniel ben Kanaz, and then we have Ehud ben Gera, and then we have Shamgar ben Anat, and then we have Dovorah and Barak, and then we have Gidon, and then we have Yiftach, and then we have Shimshon. But the last five chapters of the Sefer have nothing to do with Shoftim Moshiim. They're a set of stories that are added on to Shoftim, to show you how bad things were in the time of the Shoftim. In fact, many people thought Megillah Rut was an appendix 
to Shoftim to sort of disagree with those last five chapters and show you the things in the time of Shoftim really weren't all that bad. Either way, the point is it's clear that those last five chapters are uh, it's completely different. The point of them is to say, by Yisrael, Ish Hayashar Yaseh. And that's not at all what the agenda is in the earlier chapters of Shoftim. So they have to be looked upon as an appendix. You even have this in the Torah. The last chapter of Sefer Bayikra comes after the Kochecho. Why is that? Because it's about you know, voluntary contributions for better kabbayat, which is not the really main subject of the Sefer. Um, the last chapters of Sefer Devarim are an appendix. You know, starting with Vayelech Moshe, they're basically an appendix to the rest of the Sefer, which is one long speech of Moshe Rabbeinu that ends at the end of chapter 30. Other examples of the Tanakh which have appendices, Sefer Shmuel has 55 chapters. The last four chapters are an appendix to the Sefer. They're extra added pieces of information about David's reign that don't fit into the main narrative. The last chapter of Yirmiyot as an appendix to the Sefer. It adds on a chapter to tell you about the Hormon, but the chapter 51 which is the next to the last chapter, the penultimate chapter, ends up with Ad Hena Divrei Yirmiyo. It's not at all unusual in Tanakh for a chapter to be added on at the end of a Sefer or two as an appendix to the Sefer in order to basically put in stuff that's not part of the main body of a Sefer or has different ideas. So the next question is, what are exactly the different ideas that are being found here? Well, in the first nine verses, what we discover is ideas that have more to do with um, what we would call wisdom psalms in Tehillim. Um, there are no prayers <coughs> in all of Sefer Mishle, whereas there's plenty of prayers in Sefer Eov. Eov is constantly praying that Hashem will respond to him and that in some way will answer his questions, which his prayers answered at the end. Um, but Sefer Mishle has more observations and prayers. Here, we end up in verse 7 of chapter 30. Um, Shtayim and then he asks requests. It sounds like In other words, this is not the usual style of a book of Proverbs. Um, then this whole line of, you know, me, Allah, Shemayim, sounds like it's taken straight out of the 38th chapter of Eov when Hashem himself talks and responds to Eov's uh, um, statements and complaints through the rest of the Sefer. Um, in other words, what you're getting here is stuff that you might see in Psalms that are called wisdom Psalms, like Psalm 37, Psalm 73, Psalm 49. <coughs> the genre of wisdom is not limited to the wisdom literature. You don't just find it in Mishle and in Eov and Kohelet. So as I said, there are several psalms that treat the same type of issues, which are the observations of human beings about what goes on in the world. Um, that's basically the hallmark of wisdom literature. The hallmark of prophetic literature is they're presenting the words of Hashem. The 
hallmark of wisdom literature is Varaiti Ani, Vashakti Ani, Avarti Echava, Vihirachoka Vimeni. You know, that's basically the whole, you know, hallmark of wisdom literature. The observations of a human being not claiming to be divinely told to that person, but questioning what, or, or making statements about the nature of the world. And basically, here, you have sort of a mix where you have the wisdom psalm, which sort of addresses and mentions the special things that are works of Hashem, but the and even praise to Hashem. Um, but still, it's it, it's within a wisdom framework. It's asking questions. A good deal of this chapter is chidot. Remember, we started with Devrei chachamim vechidotam. That was the beginning of Mishlei. What riddles are? Who did this? Who did that? I know two. I know three. Tell me what they are. Okay, I'm, we're going to demonstrate in this, in this in the course of the chapter. You know where these riddles are, how they come. But this is probably the biggest collection of them in the whole Tanakh, and it's definitely set aside from the rest of the Sefer, which has relatively few riddles, no prayers, and relatively few general statements about, you know, Hashem, other than Hashem does the right thing, you know, not sort of the diflaot of Hashem, which are more of the type of stuff you see in Tehillim than the type of stuff you see, at least in Mishlei, though you do see it in Eov. In other words, this chapter is more like Eov in some respects than it is like Mishlei. But like I said, these categories are not firm. They're loose, okay? Wisdom stuff can be found in many places. Sefer Devarim. Kimigai Asherlo Chukim Umishpatim Sadikim Koko HaTorah Azot Asher Anochi Nonsein Lufnechem Ayom. Sefer Hosea has stuff that sounds like wisdom literature. In other words, you should not think of these categories as hard and dry categories. What's called narrative literature can sometimes have poetry parachuted right into the middle of the narrative. It's just meant to be helpful categories to help us learn Tanakh, but they should not be looked upon as hard, fixed, and dry categories. In Pasukalaf, when the words about to be heard are characterized by the term Hamasa and Nu'um, uh, obviously there's a tone of prophecy to it, but don't be fooled. Nu'um does not necessarily mean a prophetic speech, and Masa in Debrayam can sometimes mean just in some way, you know, assigns. Uh, <coughs> in other words, obviously this is sort of on the border between the two. Etl Uchal. At least, according to the Pshat, these are individuals. Now, the Chacham says, he's not a Chacham. Strange introduction for a person who's speaking as a spokesperson for Chachma. Already now, he's crossing the border between what goes on in Chachma literature in general and what He's after. Chachma literature and literature in general is human wisdom. Kedoshim already upstairs people, okay? Or upstairs persona. They're considered to be the council of Hashem. 
אתה קדוש, שמך קדוש, וקדושים וכיום יהרוך עשרה. זה פרח שמנו מלכנו וגורמנו, בורא קדושים. So he's saying, I don't know human wisdom, I don't know heavenly wisdom. מי אלוה שמיים וירד, מי אסף רוח בחפניו, מי צרה מים בשמוה, מי הקים כוח סיירת, מה שמו ומה שם בנו כי תזה. Now it's apparent in the Tanakh that no human beings go up to heaven and come down again. Yeah, Elio went up to heaven, but he didn't come down again. <coughs> Moshe did not go up to heaven according to the Pshat. Moshe just went up to Har Sinai. That's on earth, and you can go hike up to the top of Har Sinai too. So, you know, as a practical matter, the only persona that do that are the Malachim. The Malachim, you know, Hinei Suwa Musa Varsa, בראשו מגיע השמיים, והנה מלאכים, מלאכי אלוהים, עולים ויורדים בו. What he's saying is, we're talking about heavenly stuff, only, you know, heavenly creatures do things like this, you know, עושה מלאכיו ברוכות, you know, and this type of deal, you know, and in other words, Hashem does this by means of the מלאכים, and of course, the מלאכים don't have fathers and sons, you know, they're all just creatures of Hashem. And so they represent the wisdom of Hashem. This Pasuk is also in Shirat <coughs> David, and it's also found, you know, in various forms elsewhere in Tanakh. The implication means that heavenly wisdom has been refined to the point that it's absolutely perfect, and therefore it can be depended upon, Okay, well, gave them a sense of something you can rely on. And furthermore, there is nothing to add and there's nothing to subtract. And if you try to, you're just going to be punished. Kohelet has a similar statement also. You know, whatever Elohim has said, you know, don't add to it and don't subtract to it because there's nothing that's going to, that's going to lead to nothing but unfavorable consequences. Our love ain't lahosif umimenu ain't legroa. But that doesn't stop Kohelet from doing exactly that. So what the statement really is, is, We human beings don't know exactly what the divine program is, so we have to rely on human wisdom in some way or another. But, the, uh, but that does not mean that human wisdom could ever possibly reach heavenly wisdom. It just means that it's the best we can do. We should do the best we can. But you can't help but feel that here there's some kind of a hint to the Torah, which You know, there already is a repository of divine wisdom, and to that you shouldn't even add a letter. Now comes the prayer. David asked for one thing. Shlomo asked for two things. Make sure that lies... And, you know, broken promises never, ever come close to me. And secondly, don't make me rich and don't make me poor. is not exactly a third request. It represents what the first two statements meant, which is, 
I do not want to basically be rich or poor. I just want to have my daily allotment. This is from this statement. The Lord's Prayer got the statement. Give us our day, on this day, our daily bread. Why? If I get too rich, espa means not, there's two ways of understanding the word Tanakh. One is savah to the point of being stuffed, and the other is just to be satisfied. Generally, in the Tanakh, you know, savat would mean stuffed. Savat uh, but once in a while, it could just be satisfied, like savayamim. Here it clearly means stuff, and what it means is when a person gets too much, they basically, you know, go around saying, Mi Hashem, who's the last person who said Mi Hashem? Paro, perfect example, okay? If I become really poor, I steal to support myself. Now, you know, Mishle has already mentioned the fact that people do that. But the fact of the matter is, even though people say, well, you have to be considerate, the fact of the matter is they still go to jail. So, and what happens then? They swear they didn't steal. So that leads them to what? The first thing he requested, which is, In other words, the best thing for a person is to be, that Hashem should give them their daily bread. Interesting, this is, this is not coming from Shlomo, who was the richest man in the world. This is coming from the ordinary Chacham. And it represents clearly what an ordinary Chacham thinks is the best allotment in life. Kohelet pretty much came to the same conclusion. After representing himself as Shlomo, says that all the riches and everything else did not bring me happiness. What brings a person happiness is just to basically get their daily bread, have, have meaningful work. Okay, that's it for today. Shalom. Tomorrow we're going to continue with uh, starting with verse 10 and finish the parak. And then the next day, uh, my wife Brenda is going to start chapter 31. I do want to mention that 30 and 31 are put together because a lot of the words are in common between the two. Like katrifeli lechem chuki sounds a lot like vatitein teref meita. In other words, you know, the Asian Chayel sees to it that everybody in her household has their daily bread. Okay? In other words, it's a very practical outcome from some of the requests that are being made here. And we will see that some of the other things made in this chapter are also sort of preludes to what we're going to be seeing in chapter 31. Shalom.